This is Phantom Power. Episode 7 Screwed and Chopped. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome to Phantom Power. I'm Chris Cheek. Today, on the seventh and final episode of our first season, my co-host Mac Haygood converses with Langston Colin Wilkins. Langston's a folklorist and ethnomusicologist active in both academia and the public sector, working as a traditional arts specialist at the Tennessee Arts Commission. Max spoke with Langston recently about his research into Houston's unique slab car culture, the city's relationship to hip-hop, and hip-hops to community. Enjoy. So before we get into the research of Langston Colin Wilkins, maybe we should get one question out of the way. Why would a folklorist be studying hip-hop? Don't they study things like folk tales or traditional music or quilting? Well, in fact, the folklorists I know study things like bodybuilding and fashion and internet memes. Folklorists study everyday creativity. One contemporary definition of folklore is artistic communication in small groups. And as Langston shows, it's the way a town like Houston gets a look and a sound all its own. But folklore didn't lead Langston to hip hop. In fact, it was quite the other way around. Back when I was a kid, around 12 years old, I received my first hip-hop record, which was the Ghetto Boys Resurrection album in 1996. Born and raised Houston, Texas, uh, the south side where Scarface is from, uh, the same area. So yeah, the Ghetto Boys are my hometown heroes, as they are for everyone growing up in Houston and those communities. I just became obsessed with hip hop, uh, you know, and not just the music, but just the larger culture and community surrounding it. So I was reading everything uh, I could get my hands on about hip hop. I was watching everything, just studying the culture. And that kind of continued through college. And when I got to grad school, you know, I went hoping to study hip-hop in some form or fashion. It was through hip-hop that I learned about folklore and became interested in it. I spent a year doing ethnographic research in Houston amongst the hip-hop community there. I focused mostly on, I guess, the more street-oriented or, or gangster rappers. And I was studying uh, the artists and producers' connection to place. So I was looking at how and why these artists were so deeply connected to you know, the city itself, um, apartment buildings, streets, neighborhoods, and how these attachments and connections to place have been reproduced in their musical output. That's why we doing the all south side, the south side, yeah, the south side, the south side, everybody do the south side, the south side, yeah, the south side, the south side. 
So, you know, why do, why do Houston rappers always shout out, call out, give dedications to places that they are familiar with and, and intimately connected with? Washington, Armstrong, Mayweather, Williams, Robinson, Thomas, Hopes, we all be chilling, but when a sucker starts illing, the chilling disrupts. And like him, Ross, we tie their ass up in the wall. That's what I studied, and as I was doing that research, I realized that this car culture, Slab, which originated in Houston, Texas, was a part of this place identity that these artists were projecting. It originated amongst working class African Americans in the early 1980s. It's hard to, you know, offer a kind of concrete <laughs> definition of slabs, but uh, mostly they're older modeled cars, uh, older modeled American luxury cars. So we're talking Cadillacs, Lincolns, uh, Oldsmobiles, if you can find those. And they're uh, modified in various ways. Um, some of the core components include the rims or wheels, which are in the community called swangas or elbows, depending on who you talk to. And these are 30-spoked home-like wheels made of chrome. Um, that's a core fundamental aspect of slab culture. Then you have the paint, which is typically called candy paint, really shiny, glossy paint with bold colors. And Beyond that, you have the stereo systems, which is, you know, are also important components of the culture. Um, so these stereo systems feature multiple speakers, um, subwoofers, you know, that feature incredible bass sounds. They're typically powered by multiple batteries. So essentially, you know, a slab is a, a modified, customized car and the components are unique to Houston because there are various car cultures, modified car cultures around the country. But I think the combination of the candy paint, the swangers, the elbows, and the stereo systems make slab unique to Houston. Was there anything from like your training in folklore that made you kind of see this phenomenon and maybe even hear it in a, in a different way? I would see these cars growing up, you know, but I'd never really appreciated them. You know, they were just how people got from A to B. You know, that's how they traveled. My uncle, who I'm close to, he had not a slab, but he had a modified car, you know, but that was just his car. But going through the program and learning about how cars and other forms of material culture are the results of both individual and communal creativity, I began to look at the cars more deeply. It's interesting what you're saying there, like the, the, these material objects we come up with almost as these reasons we create spaces to come together right? and, mm -hmm. and generate a sense of community, but also promote this arena for individuals to show off their distinct abilities at the same time. Right. It's funny because, you know, the automobile has formed that space for a lot of different subcultures. Those old codgers who have their uh, vintage car things, like right. in the in the parking lot of the um, Cracker Barrel or, or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Absolutely. It's maybe not that different <laughs> in some ways. I don't think it is. <laughs> right. And, you know, beyond that, as I was studying the music, the cars were constantly referred to uh, in these rappers' verbal output. So it's just, that's kind of what turned my attention towards studying the cars because I figured out that they were both a, an interesting form of creative culture in themselves, but also a fundamental part of Houston rappers' creative output. People who own slabs aren't going to, you know, your local uh, car audio store to get their systems put together. They go to the, the audio guy in their neighborhood who knows the culture, knows the community, and knows the aesthetic to put these sounds together. You know, we're just talking about multiple speakers, heavy bass, uh, you know, and the bass, you have to be able to feel the bass. That's part of the aesthetic. And actually, you're able to see the music. That's another part of this, that your slab is supposed to rattle, you know, and the trunk is supposed to rattle and kind of bump when you're listening to your music, you know, it's typically local hip hop. At least in slab culture, you know, the music is meant to be felt and heard and seen. And uh, I think that's why you get these terms like bang or bump to, you know, refer to the sound systems. mentioned that it's local music. Can you talk about the kind of music that's associated with this culture? There was a, a major economic downturn, a recession in Houston in the early 1980s that resulted in a lot of people being out of work, a lot of black people being out of work, I'll say. At the same time, in the early 1980s, you saw the, the rise of crack cocaine, and that offered kind of an economic pathway for many of those guys in those communities. So that's kind of the context, you know, this, this community of dope dealers in the South Side who wanted to flaunt their wealth and wanted, you know, their names and their presences to be as big as possible. And the cars and the music, the local hip hop sound 
skull screwed and chopped kind of allowed them to do that. Essentially, you know, screwed means to, it means to slow a record down. And so screwed records typically are between 60 and 70 beats per minute. And it, you know, it kind of creates a muddy, slow, and somewhat psychedelic sound uh, for hip hop. The pioneer of the sound is DJ Screw, who uh, passed away in 2000. Um, he was from the south side of Houston, Texas, again, from these working class communities. Anybody who's familiar with dance music or hip-hop production will know that 60 to 70 beats per minute is really slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I think the slowness of the music is heavily influenced by the car culture because these cars kind of originated out of the street culture in the mid-1980s, pioneered by local drug dealers who kind of use modified cars to flaunt their wealth. And so they would put together these cars and they would drive them slowly, kind of parade them through the streets of Houston, very slowly so people could, you know, pay attention to them and, and focus on them. Because DJ Screw's first mixtapes, you know, were being purchased by these local drug dealers. They would play them in their cars as they were traversing the streets. So you had this this slow experience, <laughs> uh, these slow parades going on through the streets of Houston. You also have the drug culture, the lean, mm -hmm. uh, the syrup culture, which, you know, just makes you move extra slow. And uh, that was certainly a part of the screwed and chopped culture, and certainly a part of the slap culture as well. Lean, also called syrup, uh, and there's other names for it depending on who you talk to. Um, it's essentially prescription strength cough syrup mixed with some sort of sweetener. It could be uh, soda or, you know, people put candy in the uh, cough syrup. And, you know, it, it kind of just, when you drink it, it slows your faculties down. Um, you move slower. You, um, you lose your sense of balance, which is why it's sometimes called lean because people on the drug kind of lean over. So, and again, kind of like Slab, it became a marker of local hip hop identity. Yeah. 
so you have this slow, muddy, kind of psychedelic sound. That's the screw part. You know, chopping is a kind of a fundamental part of hip hop DJing aesthetic. Um, but what DJ Screw would do was that he would take two copies of the same record, um, put them on two different turntables, but he would play one record a little behind the other record. And so when he would mix back and forth, he would kind of, he would repeat phrases. And that became, you know, the chopping part of screwed and chopped music. It's, you know, repeating phrases and sometimes repeating percussive sounds. Um, so the, the mix between the, the, the slowness and these repeated phrases, that's essentially screwed and chopped music. I think if you get down into DJ Screw's mixtapes, which there were, I mean, maybe 250 plus of, if you haven't been part of the culture, it's hard to really understand what's going on there, what he's doing, you know, and how complex it is. When you say it's hard to know how complex what he's doing is, is it because someone who isn't familiar with the original songs that he's mixing can't tell how he's chopping them? And yeah, I yeah. think so. I think because he's mixing at any given time, you know, maybe five or six records together uh -huh. and he's manipulating them, you know, in real time. And then he's going back and slowing it all down. So it's just, you know, these records, these songs are hard to navigate. People, people, help us out just a little bit here. Go to iTunes, give us a rating it'll take under five seconds if you have more time a small review helps us bring this to you give us some feedback on facebook hit us up on twitter you know the score so far langston has shown us how some of southside houston's african-american residents customize cars and customize the sound of hip-hop the slab swerved a slow path through the city streets, banging out music that paid tribute to those very same streets and neighborhoods. In the process, individuals made names for themselves as makers of money, or cars, or sound systems, or music, while at the same time the community made a name, and an image, and a sound for itself. This is the everyday artistic communication folklorists look for. It's also the way a space a collection of buildings and streets becomes a place that is known, respected, and loved. All of this is taking place on the consumption side of the music. But as Langston explained to me, a similar social process was taking place on the production side. When DJ Screw and screwed up click rappers like Little Kiki, Fat Pat, ESG, and Big Hawk made tapes at house parties. The Screwed and Chopped mixtapes Essentially, he would invite rappers over to his house, maybe, you know, three, four or five, and they would have a big party. And in the midst of this party, he would begin, you know, playing music and recording a mixtape. So what you're getting on these mixtapes are a, a social experience. 
about tripping, man. This whole culture was rooted in, you know, the drug game. And so, you know, you had a lot of early deaths in these communities mm. in the late 1980s, early 1990s. So you had a lot of memorial mixtapes, mixtapes that were created to, you know, in dedication to someone who had just lost their life. But you also had mixtapes that were about, you know, that were for someone's graduation celebration. You had mixtapes to celebrate, you know, someone in the community giving birth. So all of these tapes had some sort of social function to them. Had no common denominators It gets greater later If you stray for perpetrators mm. I pull more stunts Than evil Knievel Cause I'm on that chase For the rule of all evil Trying to thread the needle Making hits like the Beatles This is just the first chapter Of the legendary sequel My people We congregating So in that context then um, DJ mm -hmm. Screw is He's basically DJing a party And then people are freestyling Yeah he's DJing a party um, People are you know they're drinking, eating, having fun, talking crap to each other. <laughs> and then uh, he would hit record. And, you know, he would do his mixes. You know, if you're a rapper in the space, you know, you can come up and you can freestyle. Um, then they go back to partying for a couple hours. You know, then he would start recording again and some other rappers could come up. You know, if you talk to different members of the Screwed Up Click, they'll tell you that, you know, some of these... Uh, quote unquote recording sessions last all night. You know, you would go over to Screw's house around 7 p.m. and you leave at maybe 9 o'clock the next day, wow. next morning. Wow. Um, so, again, these are just kind of social events uh, organically captured on tape. That, that's what's happening here. And then in, while it's happening in real time, mm -hmm. the beat is actually faster. It's the original. It's, yeah, yeah. They're recording it um, at regular speed. Um, but then DJ Screw would take the recordings, um, put them into his four track, and uh, use the, the pitch control knob to slow the speed down. Wow. Now this for all the arch rivals that be knocking me. Listen close and feel the quote of the MJT. Cause y'all motherfuckers finna feel the side. Exercise my freedom of speech and then I open my mind. Start speaking hard lyrics that massage the brain. It's the east and the west, it's the south side thing. Age time, age time, watch me go ahead and climb. No ordinary vocabulary, legend in right there. Pimp the pen in a minute, right? 
writing platinum shit. Witness this large conglomerate, call a screwed up flip. This ain't a warning, I told ya. World our nights over, DJ Smooth is the general with an archer, Roger Soldier. I follow in the footsteps of Tupac's crew. Be a rap game genius, music entrepreneur, connoisseur with these which I think, you know, in my eyes makes especially their, their rap performances much more interesting because most of those freestyles were done completely off the top of the head. You know, they were completely extemporaneous um, and performed in real time. So, you know, these rappers don't get the credit that they deserve for being incredible freestylers. And so maybe we should talk a bit about what that does to the voice. Just a darker almost otherworldly tone to their voice. And I think, again, that goes hand in hand with the drugs that were being consumed, the drug market-based environment that they're coming from, um, and also the slab culture, you know? So, you know, it just kind of produces a, a almost ghostly <laughs> vocal sound. Just that black-hearted DEA by the big shots. I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I almost feel like to me, this music sounds more like West Coast hip hop yeah. from the 1990s than, than like the sort of, at least the stereotype of Southern hip hop. I was wondering if there's some kind of connection there between just that again like that car culture you're talking about where there is just something about this that it sounds like riding music to me yeah no i mean i think there's a deep connection i, I think you're you're correct um for multiple reasons um one you know dj screw the, the pioneer of this whole culture i mean his favorite artists were from the west coast so we're talking uh you know, Ice Cube and Sibo and, and from Sacramento, California. So, you know, much of the music on those early screw tapes and even, you know, toward the end of his life were comprised, most of the music was West Coast based hip hop, gangster rap. And just that, that endless, you know, ribbon of freeway. That's just. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> I mean, you have to have a car to get anywhere in Houston. You know, our our uh, public transit system, you know, wasn't great. So you have to have a car to get around. And therefore, you know, people spend a lot of time in their cars. The culture seems similar. You know, it seems like you have to have some sort of, mo you know, wheels to get around in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think just the sheer geographic sizes of you know, these two hip hop centers, you know, creates a relationship between the two, you know, and I think that manifests in the similarities between Houston and West Coast based hip hop. In the 2000s, both slabs and the chopped and screwed sound spread beyond Houston's South Side and eventually beyond Houston itself. Between, you know, 2004 and 2007, local hip-hop culture, for the second time, because the first time was with the Ghetto Boys in the early 1990s, rose to national and maybe international prominence through music that was created on the north side of Houston, through this label called Swisher House. You know, rappers like Paul Wall, Mike Jones, and Slim Thug. Now look, you're 
look who crawling, still balling in the mix. It's that six six long dick slim nigga sticking your chick, pulling tricks, looking slick at all times when I'm flipping. Bar sipping, car dipping, Grant Wood grain gripping, still tipping on still tipping on four rolls, four rolls, and no packing, and no packing, blowing on that endo. You know, it was through them that Screwed and Chop music rose to the mainstream. And they did it, I think, through using, by using car culture. Um, because the first few songs that came out in that era from local hip-hop artists were songs that were dedications to car culture. Still Tippin' um, was about slab culture. Chameleonaires, uh, Riding or Riding Dirty, was about local car culture and kind of the criminalization of it. fascinating to me because growing up in New Orleans and and mm. you know Houston and New Orleans are pretty close yeah. as close as any place in Texas can be to anywhere because Texas Very is true. so big but Very true. around that same time you know, DJ Screw was creating his innovations like in New Orleans there was just really kind of fast upbeat hip-hop that was happening right. you know with producers like Manny Fresh you know the, the Hot Boys Lil Wayne Juvenile and this kind of bounce music sound with the trigger man beat just seems kind of interesting that these cities are so close together and yet the music kind of couldn't be more opposite at least to my ears yeah i mean that's it is fascinating and you know i will say that bounce and all that new orleans music had a strong presence in houston as well and mm -hmm. we did also see it end up on dj screws mixtapes and such but i think the special thing about hip-hop when i was growing up and i hate to sound like such an old man <laughs> at least to me was the fact that you know hip-hop in new york didn't sound like hip-hop in houston and houston hip-hop in houston didn't sound like hip-hop in new orleans even you know each region had its own unique sound and i thought that was a beautiful and an incredible thing the internet kind of has broken down those regional barriers and has made different regional sounds readily accessible to everyone around the country. And so and, and in some respects, that's awesome. I'm glad that sounds have changed. You know, I'm, I'm glad that hip hop has grown and is continually re, you know, orienting itself. But I wish there was some, some sense of regional or local uniqueness because yeah, I just think that's virtually disappeared in the culture and in the industry. Yeah, it's almost like the regions are the different regions of the internet now. Like, 
you have <laughs> you have right. SoundCloud rap. You know, like that's the yeah, absolutely. That's a neighborhood in internet land. Right. That's a great point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I mean, I think connection to place is a fundamental aspect of hip hop culture. It, it exposes an, an intimate relationship between the person and their place. Um, place in itself is something very different now. That's it for this episode and this season of Phantom Power. Thank you again to Langston Colin Wilkins, and we'll be back in the fall with season two. We hope to connect with you then. You can learn more about Phantom Power and find transcripts and links to some of the things we've heard and talked about at phantompod.org. You can also subscribe to our show there or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love it if you'd rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Tell us what you thought about the show on Facebook. Give us a shout on Twitter at Phantom Pod. Today's show featured music by DJ Screw and the Screwed Up Clique. Our interns are Natalie Cooper and Adam Whitmer. Phantom Power is made possible through a generous grant from the Miami University Humanities Center and the National Endowment for the Humanities.